podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Of course, this is the podcast where we believe building a small, agile, cash-generating asset that you control is the way to retire early or not retire at all. Are you starting to get on this fire movement thing? I don't think we've ever said anything like retire early before on this show. Is that your plan now? Are you moving over to the other side? I'm just doing a pivot, man. Today, we are going to talk about one of the most challenging and rewarding elements and in a weird way, one of the most off-putting elements of building a small cash-generating asset, you're going to have to hire and cultivate staff. Now, a lot of people look at this and say, oh, that's not for me. That's not something I want to do. That's not something I can do. I challenge anybody who thinks like that, like, this stuff is so much easier and so much more rewarding than the alternate paths, which is like working the same job for 20 years. Bottom line, you want to grow a profitable business, you're going to have to get some people involved. Most people, Dan, they just say like, it's not for me. I'm not a good manager. I mean, how many times over the last 10 years have you heard that before from someone, single operators that say, it's not for me. I can't do it. I'm not good at managing people. I don't trust them. Things like this. Who are the people who come out of the womb saying, you know what I'm good at? I'm good at shooting hoops, number one. And number two, big time manager. It's sort of a weird thing to to even think about being good at, right? In other words, it's like, look, nobody's good at managing people. It's something that you learn to do by doing it. And we met a guy this last week. We're tooling around my town here. He's been running an e-commerce business for the better part of 20 years, pretty much solo. And now he's looking to sell his business. But, I mean, doesn't have any staff. Been operating himself, like out of his office. I think he's like, you know, upper 50s, early 60s, said, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Everybody kind of gets to their breaking point. And for him, he kind of found his breaking point. He's got two options right now. Be tired or sell it, right? Hire people and then walk away. The idea that not having people around is better, I think is crazy. I think it's way better to have people involved in your business. Totally. Because it affords you a lot more freedom and flexibility. And all you have to do is get off this silly idea that you're not a good manager. Today's episode is going to teach you and hopefully inspire you to figure out that this is not rocket science. And a lot of the things you do in your business are a lot harder than managing a few people here and there. These remote companies, these different types of companies that we're building, internet-based businesses, most of them. Remote employees scattered all over the planet. The yeah. one that we're going to talk about today has 70 employees all over the place. Yeah. You know? It's a totally different working environment than what existed 25 years ago. I'm curious to hear from listeners out there if they have a job and they're working one. When are people going to start thinking that their employers going to start thinking that they're actually competing with other employers on this stuff? If you find management a challenge, which of course there are challenges there, especially when you start to get the five to six people involved, whether they're freelancers, contractors, or full-time, that's about the tipping point where you start to think about having these team retreats. And on today's episode, we're going to have an experienced guest you know, who's been doing these for years. And I, I think give us some inspiring ideas about how one might 
build a cohesive culture even as things scale. So I'm going to introduce today's talk, and then if you have anything you want to get off your chest at the end, you let us know. So regular listeners will know that Justin Cook and Joe Magnati of the Empire Flippers, they run a marketplace for buying and selling established profitable online businesses. They've been a part of this show since the very early days. It's been wonderful to see them literally grow to now they have over 70 employees globally working for the Empire Flippers. It's an incredible success story, and they've learned a lot, which they've shared on their podcast as well as here at the TMBA. But here's the thing. They are still proudly, determinedly, 100% remote. And I've even asked them this question in person. Like, guys, aren't you sort of tempted at least to bring the top brass into like an office somewhere? You, mm-hmm. Their response to me was like, no. Like, this is who we are. Like we, And it, I thought that was so cool and, and confident. And I hope that's going to come across on today's episode. So today I invited Joe Magnati onto the show. And he's going to share why their twice yearly company retreats, which they call meetups, have become essential to making that culture cohere and making this 100% remote thing work at scale. And it's cool to see serious companies doing serious business. You know, we used to get looked down on a little bit for doing things this way, Ian, and it's cool to see it be legitimized. It seems like it's become the, the norm. I started out by asking Joe about his and Justin's first Empire Flippers team meetup. started the first company meetup with an apprentice in an Airbnb in Thailand, you know, got a nice little apartment and... Well, what was the idea at the time? Like, what was the germ of the idea that, hey, I'm going to live in a place with a staff member? Yeah, well, the idea was that especially if you are digital nomad and moving around a bit, it's good to meet up once in a while. That was part of the beginning of making sure that we had some sort of centralized place where once a year at that time, later on, it became twice a year. What year was this about? This is 2015. And, you know, we know we needed to kind of get away from our own home bases in down in Davao in the Philippines. It was very basic at first. And that's what I would suggest to people that are trying it out. Don't try to overdo it, especially if you just have a few people on your team, it can be as easy as getting an Airbnb, having people in the same building or or close to the same building and having one Airbnb be the place to work. And and that's what we did is one of the Airbnbs happened to be a penthouse. It had a very nice living room to work from and everyone just went up there and, and, and worked from there and collaborated. So, you know, sometimes it's easier to do training, to do some sort of project planning in person. There is that value. And I think we underrate that a little bit. And these company minutes have allowed us to do that. And as our team has grown, we've really seen that, you know, some of the trust and dependency issues are overridden by, let's say, having that in-person time. What do you mean by trust and dependency issue? Well, I think it's it's very common for people who come onto a remote team to not have faith in the system, especially because they never met that person. And, and, you know, maybe they did a video call with their boss. But other than that, they've met never met any of these people in person. And, you know, spending some money and some time to get everybody together is a good idea because I think it helps build that relationship. And, and that's really important for employees to, to know and trust each other, especially if they're going to be working on larger projects together. 
Back in 2015, when you had this germ of an idea to travel away from your home city and be in a home together or house together, what were the sorts of projects you had in mind that you were sort of earmarking for this time together? The idea was, number one, something that we do and have done consistently since we started the company are these quarterly planning meetings. And that's a big part of our success. And these quarterly planning meetings, while they can be done remotely, and we sometimes do do them remotely, they could be seven or eight hour meetings. That's a long time to be on the phone. So we would prefer to do those in person. And that helps us plan out, well, review what we did last quarter and how we did on the goals for last quarter, and also review and set up the goals for the next quarter. And those quarterly goals are going to match the yearly goals, which then match the long term vision goals. And of course, that helps you know, lay out the success of the company. Take us back to the first Airbnb. Was there something unexpected that happened in that house that you couldn't have predicted before you got there? Well, you know, not that time. But what did happen a little bit later, and I think this is maybe late 2017 or 2018, we were in Vietnam. And we decided to have the company meet up in Vietnam. We had brought on a bunch of new people. Our crew had grown pretty big at that time. The, the Western part of the crew was maybe 15, 20 people, plus we had 20 Filipinos. Maybe 10 Filipinos came over from the Philippines to work with us in Vietnam. So there was like 30 people there. And you know we didn't get any office space. We just had a couple of Airbnbs. So everybody's like, working from couches and trying to get comfortable on kitchen tables. And, you know, it was uh, the logistics behind it were we were outgrowing this sort of Airbnb ability to just hack it together like that. And so we we learned quite well that uh, for the next one, we were going to have to have to use some sort of uh, defined space. Now, when we do Thailand now, we go to Phuket and we have these big villas that we rent and they have huge rooms and private areas for people to work from that work out very, very well for us. But in other cities, we've noticed that you know renting like a hotel room, a ballroom at a hotel or something like that uh, works out pretty well because they have the tables, they have the chairs, they have the setup, you know, they can feed everybody, that kind of thing. Whereas if you're in an Airbnb and you have 30, 40 people, it just doesn't work out. Yeah, it's one of the things I noticed, like the bootstrapper mentality, our first team retreat, we had to like rent a conference room or that was the opportunity. And we, of course, we looked at the bill and we were like, oh man, we've already spent so much money getting everybody here. Like, could we save some money on this conference room? And I realized about on the third or fourth hour of like in-depth conversations where everybody was locked in and there was water and coffee and no interruptions that to spend all that time and energy of people getting there and then to cheap out on the space would have been a really big mistake. Absolutely true. And, you know, again, I think if you're probably under, let's say, five, six people, it, you can do that in an Airbnb. But once you start to get over that level, a dedicated space, whether that be a room in a co-working space, which we've done before. You know, we've done these company meetups in Chiang Mai, and everybody had their own individual Airbnb. And then we simply went down to the co-working space and all met up in sort of an office every day. You know, that worked out fairly well. We've done the hotel style, which I really like because everybody not only has their own individual room, but we have the conference room to meet up in. And like you said, not only do you get 
nice chairs and tables, but they bring out coffee, you know, they bring out snacks, they can feed you, you don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. And that leads to us focusing on the work, which is what we're there for. You know, obviously we do some some things at night and we have some extracurricular activities, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit, but it's nice to be able to to spend the whole workday working and not worrying about the logistics of working. I'm curious about something that happened positive for your business that was not predictable. In 2018, we brought on a lot of people and, you know, it really hurt the bottom line at the end of 2018 and we realized that the next meetup in 2019 it had to be well budgeted. So we found a good place to do that in, in Mexico City. We found a hotel in order to do that that was, that was quite affordable. And instead of trying to blow it out and spend $100,000 on 60 people, we spent half that. And it was, it was good enough. But, but getting everyone together and not skipping it, which is you know one of the, the thoughts that we had, would have been a bit of a disaster because I think getting everyone together and making sure they're all in the same room, it put a real oomph behind the necessity for us to work together and to work on these goals and to make sure that we achieve them as a team. Because people are going to be able to work in person together, I think that they're going to be able to get things done faster and that when they start working apart, you know, it becomes a, hey, let me ping John about this. You know, I remember him telling me we're at the last meetup that he can help me with this sort of thing. Those things go a long way. And that was pretty important for the success that we had in 2019. Well, isn't it surprising how little people in remote teams know what each other are doing? That's the big thing I was going to bring up was the water cooler factor. There's this kind of subjective factor that, that offices have, and one advantage that they do have is that people tend to collaborate. They tend to go out to lunch together. They tend to you know, take a 15-minute smoke break or water break and talk a little bit. And when they talk, they usually talk about work. And so if somebody's struggling with something and another people in another part of the organization can help with that, and they never would have known that if they just worked remotely and never interacted. Besides the, the obvious objective, sort of like, okay, here are our goals, here we're going to be able to do it, we need to do training because these new people were brought on board, I mean, those things are pretty well laid out. There's this subjective, unmeasurable piece, which is, yeah, we got together, we talked about these other things that I didn't even know this other team was going through, but because we went out to dinner together and spent some time together, I understand some of the problems they have. I work in the engineering department, and now I understand that sales is struggling with X, Y, and Z. I think we can build a little piece of our platform to help them do that. And those kind of you know, intrinsic things would never come about without these company meetups. Well, isn't this an argument for having an office? Well, some would argue that for sure. I mean, the cost of not having overhead is one of the reasons why you go remote, right? And so when you start spending all this money on having a nice company meetup, you know, you want to put people in a, in a nice living situation, you want to get nice working situations, you also want to have extra activities, you know, on the weekend or, or at night. Yeah, it starts to get expensive. But here's the thing I can say about that over an office. An office requires a lease and a commitment. Company meetups, you can expand as well as you're doing, but you can also contract 
right? And say, look, the, the next one needs to be a little bit smaller. We can't invite the entire crew. Maybe only the top management team can come or a few other are key players, you know, because we really are in, in dire need of retracting this or we have to, instead of having a hotel, we need to put everyone in Airbnbs and kind of, you know, do it uh, the, the bootstrap way. That allows you to really sort of control what the budget will be per person. Whereas if you're a f- on a five-year lease on, a, on an office in a commercial space, you know, that's what it is. It's fixed. And once you run into space constraints because you keep expanding the team, what do you do then? You got to get a new office. I mean, it's, I love that flexibility. We're building the kind of company that we want to build and that we want to run and work for. And one of the things that Justin and I set up from the beginning is that we didn't want to have to be in an office. And so we've tried to hire the kind of people that don't want to be in an office. We've tried to script the kind of service and company that doesn't have to be in an office. You know, everything, not everything is revolved around that, but that's been one of the centralized goals to allow people to travel anywhere in the world and work like that. And and it has worked out well. I don't want to prop me up too much, Dan, but it came from you, man. I mean, that, that first meeting in Porto Galera way back in 2011, you know, meeting your apprentices and, and seeing that the TNBA guys, that it was possible, really motivated us to, to start hiring Westerners and develop these kind of middle managers. It is fascinating to watch you guys stick with your guns and believe that. Like, we run a company in a very unique way, and people will buy into that. You know, professional people will buy into that. You know, times are changing. I think that this is going to be the way companies are really run in 20 years. We're on the forefront of it right now, but as technology improves and, you know, people can do like VR meetings and all that kind of crazy stuff, I think that this will just be normalized. Now, you do have to build a team and attract the right type of talent that is not going to, you know, run off and say, well, you know, I prefer working in an office all of a sudden. In the interview, you say, look, I'm not looking to build an office. I need to know that you're dedicated to, to, to working from home, that you can deal with the loneliness and sort of the solidarity that comes with that, but at the same time, realize the benefits of it as well. Have you guys run into trouble with either convincing team members to, to make room in their schedule or telling people they can't come and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people have family commitments, right? We have we have people that they're going to have a baby. And obviously, that's a lot more important than coming to a company meetup. And so we try to plan for that. We try to make sure that uh, there is a backup for that person to, to show up and make sure that the their department, their, their, their people are represented in some way. You can't expect 100% of the people to be able to come all the time. And Sometimes, like I said, if you are in a retraction for whatever reason and you can't bring everybody, then you know you have to just be straight with them and say, look, the money's not there to do this. And so if you did want to come, it'd have to be on your own dollar. I don't expect you to do that. But if you can't make it, it's in no way going to affect you. Tell us a little bit about how you structure the social stuff. What we try to do is a combination of Adult fun, let's say a little bit of drinking, a little, you know, we were in Mexico City, we did the uh, the canals, you rent a boat and you go on these little canals and it's basically all day drinking kind of thing. And 
that was a lot of fun. I loved hanging out with the team and, 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 and doing that kind of thing. But we also did some you know sightseeing. You went to go see the pyramids. You went to go see some old churches, that kind of thing. And we have an HR person that schedules that kind of stuff. I'd have to say before we had HR, it was very much off the cuff. You know, oh, hey, we have this Friday to do something. You guys want to do X, Y, or Z. But now that we have so many people, we do have a dedicated HR person that takes care of that. Her name's Marlene. She's fantastic. Making sure that we do have a schedule for stuff, whether that just be a couple of dinners during the week. But it's not too crowded and too much so people have enough free time to kind of because that's the other purpose right is sometimes you just want to like hang out with three people go out on your own get to know each other a little bit better and not have to be with the whole team how much fun are these for you yeah it's a combination of 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 stress and fun if you pick the wrong kind of place to to have it you know if the hotel is is not ideal you're going to get complaints from employees what kind of complaints might they have well, I always use the, the the towels are scratchy problem, right? You know, it's a metaphor. Somebody says a, a passing comment. It's like, yeah, not everything is going to be ideal. And, and you have to understand that there's only so much that we can fix as the company, especially if, you know, we're trying to see these hotels from halfway around the world and book them. And we don't know the exact quality of the, the, the situation that we're getting into. Yeah, I'd say that's some of the drawback for sure is you, especially as the team grows and you have these kind of things, you're never going to be able to keep everyone happy, right? Someone either doesn't like the city or doesn't like the setting or, you know, has to travel all that way and I I think that's just something you have to come to terms with. It's definitely a bit stressful, but I love getting together with the team and taking the time to get to see everyone and know everyone especially when we have new people coming on board that, you know, maybe I've done, again, a video call with, introduced them, spent an hour with them, but that's it. You know, it's nice to be able to sit down, have a meal, work with them a little bit, you know, see what their questions are, even though, you know, maybe their manager's handling that. I like to hear it because now I, I can prepare for that the next time around and see if we can improve the whole process. If you're anxious about your business finances, a lot of us are. If you don't have confidence in your numbers and you're not sure if you're headed in the right direction, if things are going up or down, well, today's sponsor has an offer for you. Bean Ninjas is an online bookkeeping and financial education company that's been helping entrepreneurs achieve freedom through stress-free finances for almost five years. They were recently awarded Zero Bookkeeping Partner of the Year in 2019. Founder and CEO Merrill Johnson is a member of our community, the DC, and has been on this podcast several times. The Bean Ninjas are legit. They really understand the issues unique to running online businesses like we talk about here at the TMBA. Now, Bean Ninjas is offering to train you on how to effectively use Zero to manage your finances with their How to Do Your Bookkeeping in Zero online course. This course is basically a five-week mentorship where you can work closely with a financial coach and a small group of like-minded entrepreneurs. There's also a DIY option available. So here's their offer. Head on over to beanninjas.com slash TMBA to sign up and get 25% off the coupon code provided. This five-week mentorship program is usually $3.99, but today, by using that special link from the TMBA, it's available for $2.99. If you're someone who gets overwhelmed with not knowing what's going on money-wise with your business, be sure to head on over to beanninjas.com slash TMBA. 
You mentioned that having an unprofessional setting was something that ultimately didn't work out for you guys. Were there other things like ideas you had about team retreats that you ultimately evolved into or changed out of? One of the other things, and and Justin and I tend to disagree on this a little bit, but you got to be careful of the beach versus the city. And when I say beach, again, that's a metaphor. It could be it could be any sort of like tropical, out of the way place. Because if you do something that's really far away, sometimes the logistics behind that can be frustrating, right? Like there's just not enough rooms, or the transportation sucks, or our company meetups are two weeks long. You need other stuff to do. And if you're in a beach setting, all there is is the beach and the bar, right? There's nothing else there. And people go a little stir crazy after a while. I know I do. So it's nice to be in a city. A city has better logistics usually. It's easier to travel around. It's easier to get everyone clumped together. But the city can be a lot more expensive. And and that's where you have to, you know, you're not going to have it in New York. You're, you know, our next company meetup is in Budapest. So we try to, you know, choose reasonable mid-sized cities that have nice hotels and and the kind of infrastructure to support us, plus a lot of things to do, a lot of things to see, but also unfortunately may not have the the great weather of being in a tropical island in in Southeast Asia. We love Phuket because we know the villas there. Phuket does have a little more infrastructure. But we've tried to replicate that in other island settings. For instance, Boracay here in the Philippines. It wasn't a disaster, but it was, it was very difficult. If you're going to be there for two weeks, people are going to have to get a haircut. And if you're standing in the middle of, of Boracay up on the mountain in a, in a nice villa and everybody's up there, if somebody has to you know, get in a trike and go all the way down the mountain, find a place to get a haircut... Oh, they don't accept the uh, credit cards. They have to find an ATM. And then they come all the way back up the mountain. All of a sudden, they're gone for three, four hours during the middle of the day. And it's like, you know, we're supposed to be working together. We're not supposed to be going out and trying to venture out how to find a haircut. It's these kind of logistical things that I think are much easier in the city. And we try to plan for them when we do have things in tropical settings, like we'll rent cars so that they're right there. But in general, we've found cities to be the better place to do these meetups. Why do you guys do it for two weeks? Like, why two weeks and not two days? Good question. I mean, most other companies do a very, very short meeting. Now, we're a little bit different in that everyone that works for us is, quote unquote, a digital nomad, or at least the vast majority are. We do have a couple of guys that that own a home or live in the U.S. or live wherever they live. But the vast majority of people are travelers. And so for them to be able to come out and spend two weeks for us is kind of the normal routine. I mean, that's part of our culture. People that love to travel and do business from anywhere. So most of the people that work for us are in that sort of circuit. We find that two weeks is, is enough time to A, get the work collaboration done, and B, get the personal collaboration. And like I said, if you're not working together, you need some time to build that trust feeling with your coworkers. Two weeks gives you enough time to not only to get some work done, but also go out, get some drinks, have some dinners, and not feel like you're rushed. 
we have had that advantage, and and I highly advise if you can expand it to you know at least ten days with like two weekends and a work week in between. I think that that's kind of ideal situation. Let's talk about a potential ten day retreat. Like how might you, how would you structure that versus a two day retreat? Yeah, like in a ten day circumstance, I would probably try to get everybody there on uh, Friday or Saturday, and then say you know Saturday night we're having a big dinner. If you're not there in time, you missed that dinner, that's okay, but you got to be there on Sunday. Sunday has to be the day. And Sunday, maybe you have some very light event. Maybe you do a a brunch or something like that. And then come Monday morning, 9 a.m., everybody's there at at the ballroom or the conference room, wherever it is, and they're ready to work. And each individual manager and department should have their own directives already, and you've pre-planned that in order to, to, to drive the teams to what they have to do, whether that's training for, for new people or some other sort of project collaboration, whatever that might be, they're ready to go ahead and get that work done. So you're structuring this down to like the minute? Well, we try to leave some leeway in, right? You got to leave leeway in because if there are problems or real work that needs to be done besides projects, right? I mean, there are customers and clients that we have to take care of. That also needs to be done. So we need to plan for that as well. I'd also say that we try to do, we do a state of the company every quarter where we talk to our employees about, you know, what happened in the previous quarter and what's going to happen in the next quarter. And, you know, even though it's only an hour long and, and normally we do it remotely, when we do these meetups, we're able to do it live. So we can handle questions, we can do all that kind of stuff. And that's uh, very valuable as well. It's so obvious, but, but it wasn't obvious to me that everybody in a re- remote company is just thinking about their thing. And often we have like very little idea of what each other is doing, typically, let alone what the whole company is doing. So it's an enormous opportunity to pull everybody together and to do that state of the union. That would be the top priority for me. Like if you only have two hours to meet with your team, that's what I would do. What would be the top priority items for you? Like if you're only doing a two-day event, what is the absolute can't miss things to do when you pull the team together in a room? Yeah. So if it's the absolute can't miss, I want the management to be able to do that quarterly review and quarterly planning. So one of the days is going to be that. Like you said, I definitely want to be able to do a state of the, state of the company with the entire company. And then I want individual departments meeting for their project planning for both the previous quarter and the upcoming quarter. And then if we can fit any training in in between, especially for new people, that's very, very critical. State of the company, management meeting, training, and making sure we hit our goals. What's the training look like? Because it's sort of strange to me that well, they're already working for you, so shouldn't they be trained already? Or what are some of the things that you might have to train somebody on? Yeah, so what we try to do is we try to schedule new people to come on, maybe not right at the company meetup because we don't want to have to sit there and create email addresses for people and stuff like that. But you know, you come on board two weeks before the company meetup, so you get all set up, you get sort of the company intro, you get uh, the onboarding done, all that kind of done. Maybe you have some preliminary training. And then, yeah, the first few days that you're there, you can really start to work directly with your trainer. Onboarding is, is really important. We found that as we've expanded the team, you wonder why corporate America does it. There's a reason because you have to kind of teach them about 
not only company policies, but company goals and, and what the culture is like and that kind of thing. And, and so having that sort of onboarding process is, is really important to successful employees. So what I'd like to do is present you with a sort of potpourri of random questions and see what your responses are. All right, hit me. What might be a way that an entrepreneur could decide how much to spend on a team retreat? That's a very good question. So what we've decided is that, so as we expand the team, we should spend the same amount of money per person. So that's how you should really think about it on a per person level, not on an overall level. As the company becomes more successful, you might be able to spend more money per person. And that will obviously lead to it being more expensive. But you could also create a baseline to say, you know, oh, we're going to spend $500 per person. And that means we get X, Y, and Z, but we can't do A, B, and C. And that we found is a much better way to calculate it than to look at an overall budget. Overall budget you start to get lost in, in you know, the difference between $75,000 and $100,000. Sure, it's $25,000, but how much is that per person? If you are bringing 100 people, it's a small amount of money, actually. And it's something you should probably consider doing. So basically, you're saying there could be sticker shock here. Yeah, you could look at it, get sticker shock and go, oh my God, I'm not going to do this when you realize that you're only spending a couple hundred dollars per person if you have a lot of people coming. Or if you have only a small amount of people coming and you're spending a lot, you're spending several thousand dollars per person, then probably you need to cut back on what you're doing or maybe do a, a shorter time period or something like that. But if you're less than a thousand dollars per person, that doesn't include travel. You know, because we say to people they have they have to get there on their own. After that we'll take care of them. But if you're less than $1,000 per person, you know, it's, it, it's going to be tough unless they're, you're, you're having it in a, in a really uh, small city or, or a small place. So just understand that. So you don't fund people to travel? Again, I think it fits well into our culture at Empire Flippers. We're very lucky that most of the people that work for us are travelers. And so if we can plan very well ahead of time and tell them, look, our next meetup in you know, a year from now is going to be in Budapest. That means that as these guys travel, they can make sure that in April they're in Budapest. What would be three cities you would suggest people look into to use for their retreats? In terms of cities, obviously Southeast Asia has some, some, some major advantages. Why I love Manila, I'm not sure it's great for a company meetup because the, the, the wealthier parts and the nicer parts of Manila tend to be too expensive. So I would say you know, Bangkok is great for that. We definitely have, have done it there before, have had very good times. You have great service departments you know, with the hotels there and the uh, co-working spots. There's plenty of spaces to kind of work from. There's obviously great nightlife, but there's, there's also great other things to do. We've had great luck in, in Phuket because we were able to spend a lot of money on those villas and making sure that, that people had good housing and stuff like that. So that might be a, a, another decent place to look. We did one in Mexico City, which was great. The English is a little bit of an issue. But you know, if you guys are staying together uh, and somebody has some Spanish experience or some experience in Mexico City, that might be a thing. And in Europe, we haven't done one in Europe yet. So Budapest is going to be our first. I'm super excited about it because uh, you know I haven't been to Europe in, in quite some time, 
But uh, Budapest and Prague tend to be great places to do that because they are very affordable in terms of Europe and good cities to have a lot of other things to do, but still have the infrastructure of a large city and kind of cost-effective things as well. All right, big up to Joe Magnotti for coming by the show. Backstory on this. A member of the D.C., posted in the forum they're going to do their first team meetup and joe responds says you left some brief thoughts and he said hey dm me if you want me to expound on any of this and they had set up a call and so i called joe too and i was like man this is so cool like you you know you're offering your your expertise for free and he was he even mentioned that like something that we edited out of this podcast like if any dc member any dynamite circle member wants to talk to me about this just set up a call with me or whatever it's just I love that like community entrepreneurial spirit, real recognized, real like it's tough. Let's help each other out. Yeah, we're we're still all trying to figure out like how this stuff works. Yeah, man. totally. Like, how do I find a resort? Like, where should it be? What location? You know, it's just like it's all very uncharted territory. Yeah, but one thing I love is like simple actions that the implications of which are positive for you and your life and your business. This is one of those very things. If you got a small team. Have a team retreat. Like you don't need to be expert at hosting the team retreat. You can make mistakes. You will make mistakes, but just doing it, showing up, you're gonna get a lot more work done. You're gonna be able to set a culture, even if you don't come in there with a plan to deliver your culture manifesto or whatever. You're gonna discover what the culture of your business is. And if there's somebody there that's toxic, you're gonna see it right away and you're gonna be able to make that adjustment. If there's somebody there that's not being productive or doesn't understand what's going on, this is just one simple thing you can do. Schedule a team retreat within the next six months. A lot of positive things are going to come from that. Easy for you to say because we went through this and I think we probably had this debate a bunch and you're like, hey man, we should do a team retreat. And I was just like, Mr. Spreadsheet, you know, I'd look at the numbers. I'd be like, oh yeah, $10,000. You want to get in the same room? And and then you push a little harder, push a little harder. Eventually we had one and then there was a bunch of breakthrough moments, but I don't think it's that easy, Dan. I think in the beginning, like, we're in an interesting situation, right? Because like in a lot of ways, we've cut our cost to zero on, on many things. Office space being one of them. Like back in the day, it was no like- more free coffee. Yeah. There was like $5,000 a month in San Diego and like mm-hmm. coffee and parking spots and all this stuff, you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now we have a remote company. It's like all that stuff's zero, right? Mm. And then all of a sudden it's like hard for me. Maybe this is just a me thing. It's hard for me to go out and spend money because we've essentially cut our cost to zero there. But- Right. You're on a roll. I'm on a roll. So, so, so at, at the team retreat, then I set the team culture by when they show up, I gave everyone a printed out- spreadsheet with the actual costs of the event and the (laughs) ROI expectations. And then we burnt them around a campfire together. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of unexpected things happen at these team retreats. Like personalities come out. Like I think you get a lot more done. What do you think of the Empire Flippers, what they do where they're actually like co-working for multiple weeks? Is that something that you'd be up for? Well, I think Empire Flippers has a certain... They attract a certain culture and demographic. Yeah, like by, it's mostly single people. Yeah. Now there's a lot of families that would enjoy that too, but there's a cost to that. Who's paying for that? Yeah. When you fly out your family afford to that resort, you know? The good news for people who can't afford to spend two or three weeks working with your team, which I think everybody can recognize the value in that, is that I, I still think it's an eighty twenty thing where the eighty percent of the value is in those first, you know, one to three days where you're doing the company mission, where you're you're exchanging information with each other about what people are struggling with and what's on their plates and mm-hmm. different projects. And yeah. that's 80% of it. And then I think, you know, hanging out for a few weeks is amazing if you can do that. But. Agree. 
also say this too. I think in the beginning of a business, it's a lot more critical than maybe in the middle or somewhere down the road. If you've got an idea or your project or you've got a company that you're trying to spin off within your company or something like that, like spend two or three weeks together, just like hammering it out, figure out how you're going to get your prototype out. You know, we did this in Spain last year with Dynamite Deals and like me and you literally sat in a hot box for two months the and hot like box. We call it the hot box. Figured Spanish it out. Hot box. I think it's extremely difficult and we've failed more than we've succeeded doing that remotely with each other. And plus we really got to just embrace office culture. I mean, we <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a little, we were in a co-working space and we were like the cowboys in there. Like everybody else had real jobs. So yeah. we thought it was real fun to like, uh, I would just love like leaving at 2 PM on Friday. be like, bye. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, was a real Any, jerk. Anyways, <laughs> I think, Dan, if I had to make a prediction about what's going to happen in the future is uh, we were all sitting in buildings overlooking parking lots for most of our life. And then we went the other way. These young kids, they don't have to put up with that. Yep. Flying around the world, doing these team retreats. I think we're going to land somewhere in the middle. Like maybe you have like a couple hubs depending on how big your your company is. Maybe it's in a shared space and like, yeah, there's always like two or three people in Austin. Like now I'm going to migrate to Chiang Mai for the winter and there's an office there. Even the geography gets complicated, which is a conversation we're going to be having in the coming weeks. Like, you know, Austin's now getting to the size of a city where just because you live in Austin doesn't mean you really live in the same city or like that Mm -hmm. doesn't really mean that you're accessible to each other. In some ways, like if you live in north of a city versus south of a city, it's easier to visualize in a place like New York City. You know, the time zone thing and and what the routines are inside the business might even be more important day to day than co-locating you know, geographically. And so then it's really a matter of like, well, when does the geography come in? And maybe it is for two week sprints. Maybe it's for one month sprints. Maybe it is for, you know, four weekends a year, whatever. You got to figure that out in your business. That's what's so exciting about all this stuff. How much do we actually need to be around each other? You know, there's a tweet. I should be crediting the tweeter, but they said something like, you know, remote work is great when things are going well. You know, essentially like you you have a profitable company, you made the right hires. Mm-hmm. But when things are tough, it's not that great. And I agree with that. It's when Joe pointed out in this interview, it's like, hey, when you bring someone new on board, they got to learn something from zero to one. You know, it's kind of tough to do that remotely. And you have a lot of efficiency when you get them onboarded. We we'll always use our events and team retreats as an opportunity and an inspiration to hire, actually. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, man, we got to get this done because our event's coming up. We want to make sure that the new person can come. So anyway, lots to think about. If you're thinking about building a team retreat from scratch, Ian and I did an episode that you can search for. We'll link up to it called Should You Hold a Company Retreat? Uh, Punchline, uh, spoiler, the answer is yes. Even if you're just solo. (laughs) 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 I mean, for real, man, you should do it. You know, Rob Walling has a great concept about founder retreats and that you go and you you take a moment away and you reflect and everything and uh, still worth it. It's very much uncharted waters, Dan. I think we're all defining this. It's extremely undefined in a way. Like everybody's just doing it. Like it's so easy to get an office space. You know what I mean? What I love that, you know, kind of thinking about Joe's retreats and ours and and how everybody's doing it is like, yeah, you've got eight hours in front of your staff now all of a sudden. It's like, what do you do with that? That's something that you never planned for. Like the idea of a 15 minute Skype catch all, no biggie, an interview, hiring them, no biggie. But now all of a sudden it's like eight hours in a room together. How do we structure that time? That is holding your feet to the fire and actually building real culture. 
You know, you have to communicate, you have to keep them entertained, you have to find ways to be productive and be together. That's what being a leader is all about. That's what being a manager is all about. And I think it's a really cool opportunity to sort of build that culture out thoughtfully and intentionally Mm -hmm. rather than just like, oh, here's the slack thing of what you should do and, and, you know, all that. So anyway, go give it a shot. Let us know how it goes. This one's going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash empire flippers company meetups. That's a big, long one. All right. All right. That's it. See you there on the meetup. We'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.